And that's one of the biggest questions that, that seekers have, that non-Christians have, is how do, you, how do you reconcile the brokenness of this world, the suffering, the, the injustice that we see in this world, and yet God being all-powerful, Him being sovereign, supreme, as we're going to talk about tonight in Colossians 1, how do you reconcile that? You know, one of the ways that I try to answer that question and address that question, how can... A loving, sovereign, good God exists and suffering and evil in the world exists. And and the first place I I take people in addressing that is, is creation. That when God, the sovereign creator, the Lord of heaven and earth, made everything, He made it good. And He created mankind and He put them in a garden. And mankind rebelled against God and brought sin and death and destruction into this world. And so when we look at the brokenness of this world, we look at the disease and the suffering and the hatred of this world, we can't blame God who created everything good. It was us, mankind, who rebelled against God. And yet God did something about it. He did something about it immediately for Adam and Eve, and He's done something about it in history for all of humanity. He sent His Son, Jesus. So I go to the creation and the creator being good and to the cross to our god sending his son jesus christ our heavenly father sending his son into this world to step into the brokenness of this world and experience the suffering and the injustice what an unjust act it was to murder the sinless son of god how wrong that was to kill Jesus, yet He embraced that for us in our place to free others who are oppressed under injustice and, and evil under evil people. And so I, I, I speak to the creation, the cross, and then I don't stop there. I speak to consummation or the second coming of Jesus. And I, I think these three things can help us when we're addressing this big issue of suffering in this world and a, a good and a loving, sovereign God. He's a, he's a sovereign Creator. He created everything good and He rules and reigns over everything. Yet we've rebelled against Him. We've gone our own way. And we have experienced this mankind. We've experienced the consequences of rejecting God. And yet He did something about our brokenness. He sent Jesus. Jesus stepped in. He did something about it. And even now, Jesus has a body here on earth. You and I are the body of Christ. We're to be His hands and feet, speaking His words, proclaiming His gospel, showing His love, healing the broken. He's doing something about the wrong in this world. And you know what? He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. He's going to make all things new. He's going to make right the wrongs. He's going to fix the brokenness. He's going to heal the brokenness of our world. It's not supposed to be like this and it's not going to be like this for all eternity. And this is a biblical worldview. This is a Christ-centered worldview. And I am so excited that Colossians 1 actually hits on all three of those elements. The text that we're going to look at, that we were planning to be in tonight, I considered whether I should change the message and do something different and just speak to 
injustice, social injustice, racial reconciliation, honoring, respecting those in authority or, or, or crafting a different topical message. And as I dug into Colossians chapter 1, I realized this is perfect for us. We need to see this. We need to get our eyes on Jesus and who He is and what He has done because the Gospel is what gives hope to this broken world that we're living in. Amen. So I'm going to open in prayer and we're going to dig into this. Father, I thank You for this time. I thank You for every saint here who loves You and is just um, hungry to hear from You. I pray that You would speak to us, God. That You would give us Your perspective, God. That You would fill us with Your wisdom and Your understanding. That we would see Jesus tonight. That we would savor Jesus tonight. And that we would be hands and feet of Christ to this lost and broken world. Being ministers of reconciliation. Being peacemakers. God, thank You. Thank You for this church. Thank You that there's hope for this broken world and that we possess that. We carry that. May we do that well here. I pray that You would speak through me and help me to handle Your Word well tonight as we dig in to Colossians chapter 1. Amen. One other thing I want to say too about, um, about City Church is that we value diversity here. We value City Church International. I've said, you know, um, often that, you know, the international, there's, there's two aspects of that international that we want to be. We want to go to the nations and reach the nations, but also we want to reflect the nations right here. We want to reflect heaven right here that will have every tribe and every tongue worshiping around the throne. Amen? And so we want to reflect that. Um, Book of Colossians, if you'll go ahead and turn there to Colossians chapter 1. And tonight we're going to focus in on the supremacy of Christ. We're going to get a good look at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In Colossians, uh, one commentator says, one distinctive contribution if not the distinctive contribution of Colossians, is its comprehensive vision of reality with the focal point of Christology. One distinctive contribution of Colossians is its its, um, comprehensive vision of reality with a focal point on Christology. Does anybody need a comprehensive vision of reality with a focal point on Christology? Does anybody need to be refreshed with a Christ-centered worldview, a biblical worldview, and what's true and what's right about this world that we live in and about God? Well, the book of Colossians helps us get that. And so let's dig into it. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 13 through 23. If you don't have your Bibles, um, it's up on the screen there. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers 
or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in your mind through evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of the flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And all God's people said, Amen. So the big idea tonight is this. This is where we're going from Colossians 1. Is that Christ is the supreme creator and sustainer of all things. He is also the Savior and Redeemer for all who believe. Thus, He is worthy of our worship, trust, and our highest allegiance. That's where we're going tonight. Many scholars believe that this passage in Colossians 15 through 20 is actually a hymn. Some even think that Paul may have um, uh, quoted it. Um, and of course, many think that he actually penned it originally, it originated with him and penned it. Um, but it's, its poetic nature uh, is beautiful and it's worthy to be sung. Actually, there's, uh, there's a few songs that have been written based on this theology here. Uh, it's so Christ-centered, Christ-exalting. And so this truth within this text should be fuel for our worship. When we focus in on who He is, this should fuel our worship of who He is. Verse 15 says that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus said in John 14, He said, If you've seen Me, You've seen the Father. If you've seen me, get a good look at Jesus and you've seen the Father. You see God in the flesh. The Son of Man and the Son of God in the flesh. He, John 1.18 says that no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. So when we look at Jesus, we see God made known to us. We see the exact representation of who God is. He's the creator, the supreme creator of all things. So John, in John 1, uses this language speaking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was created was created through Him. He created everything. And so, He's the creator Jesus is the creator, the supreme creator of all things and sustainer of everything. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now this needs to be addressed because there is a, a heresy that originated in the second or third century by a guy named Arius. He was an Alexandrian priest who taught that Jesus... Um, 
Jesus was made. He, he wasn't eternally coexistent with the Father. It was an influential heresy denying the divinity of Christ. And it maintained that the Son was created by the Father and therefore the Father therefore was neither co-eternal with the Father or co-substantial. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons follow this, this train of thought. And we as Christians want to reject it because we believe that Jesus has always been with the Father. We believe that He's always been there with Him. And He's distinct from the creation. He created all things. And so I know this can be a little bit difficult to grasp, the, the, the idea of the Trinity, the concept of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this was a big issue in the 3rd century. In, in, in 325 AD, there was this big council, this council of Nicaea, and they, they had to respond to this particular heresy of, was Jesus made? Was he, was he always with the Father or not? And they did. And, and they responded to it. And, and what came out of that was what we call the Nicene Creed. Um, which, and this is what was formed here. This is, speaking of Jesus, this is what they said. And I'd like for us to cite this at the end of the sermon here tonight. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through Him all things were made. All God's people said, Amen. We believe that. We believe that Jesus is worthy of worship. In the Scriptures, we see Worship attributed to Jesus. Why? Because He's divine. He deserves our worship. He's the image of the invisible God. And so when we worship Jesus, we're worshiping God. He's superior to all things. Verse 16 says that, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. So He made everything He's superior to everything. In the Old Testament, in Psalms, and Isaiah, and other places, the, the, the writers, the biblical writers, will contrast the Creator God who made everything to worthless idols and false gods. And so when they, when they say, but the Lord, so they're talking about idols in, in some of the Psalms, and you know the idols of the people are nothing, they're, they're vain, and so on. But the Lord made the heavens. And so the biblical writers will contrast the one who made the heavens as the superior God, the one true God, the creator God. And Paul's doing that with Jesus. Jesus is superior to the principalities, the powers, the thrones, the rulers. This means, that speaking of these here, this is referring to the spiritual forces that are invisible. And he reigns over both, visible and Visible, but in, in chapter 2, verse 15, he says that, Paul says that Christ has disarmed the principalities and the powers. We also know in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. So Paul uses this language to describe the spiritual realm that we, we struggle against, we wrestle against, yet... Christ has won victory over and is superior over all the spiritual forces, all the demons and the devil. 
And he's going to come back and he's going to punish forever those demonic spirits, the devil, and, and those who continue to do evil. He's going to bring judgment, judge the living and the dead, and bring salvation. And so he's before all things. He holds all things together. Verse 17, you're sitting there and you're able to sit upright and breathe and see and hear because Christ is holding you up. He is holding you up. That should give us a sense of comfort to know that the God who's supreme over everything, the Lord of creation and new creation, sustains us. He created us and He sustains us and He loves us and He's for us and He's enough. That should overcome our fears. When we know that Jesus is superior to the devil and demons and every enemy that this world may every enemy of God in this world, Jesus is He reigns over. That should conquer our fears. As we were singing those songs tonight, just that was I was rejoicing in those truths, and, and it's been my prayer that those truths about God would be solidified in our hearts. And these days that we're living in, we need to be reminded that Christ is supreme, that He's sovereign, that He reigns as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We need to know that more now than ever especially as this day gets darker. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's first. He's firstborn. And so there's several, there's several phrases used here to describe the superiority of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. He's firstborn of all creation. He was before all things. He's the beginning. He's the head. He's the firstborn from the dead. And that, that term firstborn... Uh, occurs 130 times in the Old Testament to describe the one, one who is supreme. And that's who Jesus is. He's, he's supreme. He's first. He's, he's chief. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. And he's worthy to be first in your life. This says that, verse 18, it says that he's the head of the body, the church. If there's one place that Jesus should be seen as preeminent and first, and supreme, it should be in the lives of His people who belong to Him, who have accepted Him and believe in Him and love Him and follow Him and call Him Lord and trust Him as Savior. Christ should be seen as first in our lives. We should treasure Him more than anything, church, more than anyone. His headship points to the, a close, personal, and living relationship with them in which he rules over his people in a way that a head of a body exercises influence over its various parts. He's the head of the body of Christ and we are the body of Christ. And he deserves all glory and honor. Verse 19 says that um, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So you got Jesus, the God-man. Fully God and fully man. He took on flesh. He became man and stepped into our world. Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, O Thou of God and man the Son, Thee will I cherish, Thee I honor thou my soul's 
This should fuel our worship here, church. This is something to be sung. That Jesus, is He rules over all. And that's why there's, there's so many songs written about that. We, we sang several of those tonight. He's greater. Paul doesn't stop here with that. He's over everything as the supreme creator and sustainer, the sovereign Lord and so on. He's also the Savior and Redeemer of those who believe in Him. Jesus took on flesh. He became a man and stepped down into the brokenness of this world and experienced injustice for us to deliver us. Verse, let's look at verse 13 and 14. It says that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Does anybody remember what it was like living in the domain of darkness? Instead of peace being bound up by fear, instead of joy being oppressed with depression and discouragement and despair, instead of love being being, uh, in bondage to hatred and anger and rage and racism and so on, instead of righteousness and purity being in bondage to immorality and sin, And He transferred us out of the domain of darkness into His kingdom. God has set us free. He's given us redemption in Him. He's given us forgiveness in Him. Therefore, we should praise Him for who He is and what He's done. We should respond with all of our allegiance and devotion and adoration to God because of what He's done. And we should go and proclaim this message. He has delivered us. What He's done is enough. He's conquered the enemy for us. He's transferred us into a new kingdom. We're no longer dominated by Satan and sin. We're no longer held down in the bondage of fear and oppression. We've been set free. In Christ we have redemption. In Him we have forgiveness. Verse 22 and 23, we have reconciliation. Look at verse 20. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by by the blood of His cross. Verse 21, And you who were once alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in the body of His flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before Him. So here's what it looked like for us to be in the domain of darkness, we were alienated and hostile in our mind doing evil deeds. That's what it was like. Alienated from God. Disconnected from the blessings of God. Disconnected from the freedom of the children of God. Disconnected of righteousness, peace and joy and the Holy Spirit. Perfect love that cast out fear. We were alienated from God. And hostile in our mind. And that hostility wasn't just towards God, but was also towards one another. You see, I believe that those who have racism problems and hostility with people ultimately have a, have a hostility problem with God. Because how can you love God who you can't see if you hate your brother who you can see? One of the things I love about the gospel is it brings reconciliation. It brings racial reconciliation. 
Ephesians 2, 14 and 15 tells us that. That Christ has torn down the wall of hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. That happens in the heart and the life of those who embrace and believe the Gospel. The Gospel is effective to deal with the root of racism and hatred in the human heart. Has anybody experienced that? Experienced peace and reconciliation with God that starts with God and then it flows into every other relationship. It flows into your marriage relationship. It flows into your relationship with your roommates, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your neighbors, your relationships with the world around us, the lost. Reconciliation. We are to be ministers of reconciliation. We are to be peacemakers. We're to be salt and light in this world. And it starts with us being reconciled to God. And we've, and we've received that. We've been reconciled. We're new creations now. We're, we're born again. Those of us who know Jesus, who've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're born again. We have new life. He's changed us from the inside out. And that flows. It's like a ripple effect that flows into our relationships. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul tells us that we're to forgive and forbear with one another as Christ has has done with us. Bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's the Gospel speaking to a major issue in our day right now. The hostility, the prejudice, the racism, the anger, the hurt. The Gospel addresses that. It tears those walls down. And we've got to let it do its work in our hearts. If there's any hatred in our hearts, if there's any hostility in our hearts towards anybody, then we need God to do a deep work in us. And when we take communion, if, you, if you're taking communion in, in, in one of our Sunday night services and you have an issue with a brother or sister, I encourage you to deal with it right there. Bring it to the cross right there. If they're here in this place, go to them. You know, and let the gospel, let the work of the gospel change your heart and soften your heart towards that brother or sister. Forgive. Perhaps there's somebody here right now that that you need to forgive and just release. Let that gospel of grace that you've received flow into their lives. So verse 20 says that Jesus is going to reconcile all things to himself. This is awesome and this is good news. You know, the gospel doesn't just stop at uh, Jesus died for us to save us and we're going to heaven, right? It's not just personal salvation for us. All of creation is longing for redemption. All of creation is longing for the day when Jesus comes back and there's the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. And He comes back and as John says in Revelation, He makes all things new. He will wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more mourning, no more pain and suffering, no more crying, for He will wipe every tear from our eye. We, we long for this, don't we? When we look at the brokenness of this world, when we, when we look at cops being shot right here in our city, we, we long for something different. It's not supposed to be like this. And it's not going to be like this. Jesus is coming back. 
He's going to reconcile all things to Himself. This is gospel truth that we need to be anchored in. We need to hope in. One thing that needs to be addressed here in verse 20 is um, there's another heresy that um, some would use this passage to support. It's called universalism. The idea that everybody is going to be saved, including the devil and demons. It's an issue, and this is one of the, the texts that those who would hold that position would, would point to. Uh, I think a part of Jesus making peace and reconciliation is He's going to overthrow once and for all those who do evil, including Satan and his enemy. And He has at the cross, and when He comes back, He will judge the living and the dead. He will, And so He's going to reconcile all things to Himself and make peace. It's going to be peaceful for all eternity. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we're those who have chosen to do that on this side of His return. We will gladly bow now. We will gladly serve Him now and worship Him and follow Him now. He's our hope and we're resting in that. Amen? So here's a couple application points here. That we should accept and believe the biblical account of who Christ is. Let's fix our eyes on who Jesus is. Who He's revealed to be in these pages of Scripture. And let that fuel our worship. Let's embrace a biblical and Christ-centered worldview. And let Christ be first. Let Him be supreme. Let Him be top priority in your life. As I said, if Christ is the head of the body, the church, if there's one place that He should be seen as priority and treasured and adored, it should be in the church. We should model that. We should reflect the kingdom of heaven that has come and will come in all its fullness here on earth. We should receive and rely on what Christ has done, what He's accomplished for our salvation. He's delivered us. He's transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We should be steadfast in believing and confessing the gospel. Look at verse 23. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith and and stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so Paul mentions here the necessity for saints to persevere, the perseverance of the saints. We have a necessity to persevere and those who are saints will persevere. We will stand firm on the gospel that we've trusted in. And we do that, we help one another do that. We strengthen one another, we encourage one another. When we meet together and we worship together and we focus on the Word of God together, we strengthen one another in standing firm in that hope of the gospel. If Jesus, the supreme creator and sustainer of the universe, holds everything together, every molecule, every planet, He can hold you and keep you stable and steadfast and firm to the very end. Amen? He holds you up. We shouldn't be led astray with error. Error about who Christ is or or, uh, what the gospel is not with false gospels. We should worship Jesus because of who He is and what He has accomplished. And then we shouldn't fear the supernatural powers that influence and sway the world. If Jesus 
Is the creator the one who made everything and sustains it all? If he's before all things and in, in him all things hold together, if he's the first, if, if all the authority and power belongs to him, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he's supreme, then we shouldn't fear the powers in this world and, and those who might get in office, those who might get in, and become the next president of the United States. Ultimately, we should fear God. And know that He's sovereign. We should respect and honor those who are in authority and pray for them. And we're going to do that here in a few moments. But we can trust that God is in control. That every knee will bow before Him. That we need this truth solidified in our hearts. Amen? We're going to end here with our confession of hope. Our gospel confession. Uh, if you want to read it from the uh, common book of prayer right in front of you, there's a... a the common book of prayer on page 358. You can turn there. I also got the Nicene Creed up here on the screen. But we're going to recite this together as a confession of our hope. We believe this. Amen? Join with me in citing this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, Maker of heaven and in earth, of all that is seen and unseen, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made that were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary, and what was made man. For our sake He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And on the third day He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship our King. Let's adore Him and praise Him. Get our eyes fixed on Him. And then we're going to spend time in prayer. We're going to pray for this world around us and that His kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven. But before we do that, let's get our eyes on our King, on who He is, and adore who He is, and pray prayers of petition that perspective of who he is and what he has said and what he has done.